You're listening to From the Burgundy Chairs, a podcast for health system leaders created by Santa's Health. For this episode, Veronica Said, a consultant here at Santa's, speaks with Sarah Jarmain and Addictions and Mental Health Ontario CEO, Adrian Spafford. Today's discussion is a deep dive into Ontario's newly revealed mental health and addiction strategy. Joining me today is Sarah Germain. Sarah is a psychiatrist at St. Joseph's Health in London, Ontario, and she's the Associate Professor of the Department of Psychiatry at Western University. We're very excited to have you here today. Sarah, last week, Christine Elliott unveiled the government's new mental health and addiction strategy. The government's stated goal is really to build a comprehensive and connected mental health and addiction system that connects people to the care they need when and where they need it. We've seen many plans in the last decade. Many have the same stated goals. Uh, What's new in this strategy and what have we seen before? So good morning and thank you very much for um, talking to me today. So the, um, the strategy that was released, I think that for a lot of their um, core components are things that we have seen before. So they talk about the four pillars in terms of improving quality, expanding existing services, implementing innovative solutions, and improving access. And I would say if you look at it at that level, it's not necessarily new from what we've heard before. I think what's different, uh, different this time is the establishment of the Center of Excellence and really looking at a different um, structure to try and move forward these different initiatives. And it's going to be interesting to see how that actually plays out. What do you think this plan needs in order to be successful? Is there something missing in here? So as I read through the plan, um, uh, although there's some high-level strategy that talk about direction, there's not a lot of substance or detail in terms of how things are actually going to be implemented. And, and that's a concern given the number of strategies and plans we've seen in the past um, without that level of detail of the how, the who, the when. They've talked about some timelines, but again, it's fairly loose on details. Did you notice anything missing in the strategy? Anyone that was missing, any populations that didn't necessarily um, get enough in the strategy or there's not more, again, detail around them? Probably my biggest area of concern um, is uh, the discussion around uh, the interaction with primary care, and that's really only mentioned in the context of the Ontario health teams. So there's a lot of discussion to say that um, the regional access points will work with Ontario health teams, that this will be an opportunity to link across primary care, hospital, and community. Um, but if we look at where Um, OHTs currently are at in terms of their development. Um, I think that's a huge concern. Um, OHTs have been rolling out without new resources. And so the concern in terms of if you've already um, have a system that may be somewhat fractured and um, don't have those linkages, how is that going to happen in a timely way within that framework? Um, There's lots of discussion happening within the OHT context about how we're going to deal with issues of um, interoperability of information systems, um, lack of standardization that has been driven um, by the province. And so we may have very different looking um, 
organizations and, and networks um, across the region. And then my other concern would be how do those then link with our um, specialty services? So for example, at St. Joseph's Healthcare in London, we have the potential to be linking with 10 different OHTs. And so as we look at the delivery of tertiary mental health care and supporting primary care, secondary level care, how is that going to work? So looking at um, kind of shifting our focus a little bit, going back to the strategy, and we're anticipating the new budget to come out very soon. Uh, are there things in the budget that you'd like to see um, as an aftermath of this strategy? Kind of setting the, the, the foundation is there, the roadmap is there. Uh, what's next? And what are we hoping to see in the budget in terms of mental health and addictions and implementing the strategy? So I think one of the big pieces is really looking at the treatment aspect within a community context. So um, I think uh, most um, people working within mental health and addictions would say uh, we need to ramp up um, the opportunities for uh, treatment and follow-up within the community context, whether that's within primary care, um, community mental health and addictions, or a combination of the two. Um, the challenge right now in terms of looking at having the full interdisciplinary team, including psychiatrists, primary care physicians, is funding. So we have a legacy of community mental health and addiction sessionals. Um, which the guidelines um, are still dating from 2004. Um, it's been somewhat arbitrary in the way that those sessionals um, are uh, um, delivered across the region. Um, and so there isn't necessarily a consistency between the strategy of saying how do we actually work as a system and how do we ensure we've got the resources to be able to pay for the treatment aspects um, of mental health and addictions delivery. Um, so that would be one of the areas that I think is really needing to look at that and look at the fact that there are some areas that don't have adequate sessionals to pay for um, physician-focused treatment. The strategy um, talks about uh, the delivery of cognitive behavioral therapy for depression and anxiety and using a model for that. And I would assume that resources are going to follow in terms of the delivery of that strategy. Um, and I think that's an important piece of the puzzle, but my concern, if that's the only focus of psychotherapeutic uh, resources that we're going to be missing the boat. What we're seeing is an increasing complexity in the patients who are presenting, for example, to the emergency room. So it's not just depression or anxiety, but often comorbid with substance use disorders, with trauma, with multiple other issues. So I think there's a rec need for recognition that um, as we look at what those core services need to be, there's probably significant gaps in uh, the resources to be able to deliver those services, and that needs to be a focus. When you talk about gaps, so you touched on the the, the concurrent disorders, the severe acute patients. Um, are there any other gaps that you see in there in terms of the mind ability being able to 
um, move the needle on uh, mental health and addictions. Sure. So I think one of the big um, uh, concerns that comes up when you look at uh, e-mental health and addiction services, um, internet-based delivery of services, which is a which is a key component of the MindAbility um, plan that that they've described, um, is the concern in terms of reaching marginalized populations. Um, so rural and remote is an issue, and they talk briefly about broadband and trying to um, enhance that. Um, but it's also the recognition that there are still a significant um, degree of the population who are living in poverty, who do not have access to a smartphone, do not have access to wireless, um, uh, may have challenges in terms of using technology. Um, and so it's recognizing that and saying, what do we need to do to make that work? Um, it's also about what's the education or training that patients may require in order to t make use of some of the different um, uh, inter-based internet-based tools or um, apps for phones or things like that. Um, so there's a growing discussion about um, the idea of a digital navigator. So someone who could actually come alongside and, and coach a patient. They may not need it throughout their journey of, of use, but at the start, helping them understand how to get set up. Um, so th those are some things I think about for that component. I think the other piece um, is really um, looking at how does um, that delivery of service link with other components of care so that we're not further siloing care, but instead can have a integrated and comprehensive treatment plan of which the patient and family member are key partners. And that's not really talked about um, in the strategy. Key partners. I love that. Who are the key partners that the ministry should be looking to in this long journey to actually implement this plan? They talk about it's a long it's a long process for implementation. Who are the partners that need to be there? Uh, one of the positive things is they talk about a whole a whole government approach. Um, so different ministries are going to be involved outside of government. Who needs to be there? So I think you need to start with really using a co-design methodology, um, which means uh, really uh, thinking about anyone who um, will be involved in the uh, uh, as a recipient of services or in the delivery of services needs to be involved uh, in some way. Um, there's been a lot of discussion around engagement of patients and family members. I think that we need to push that and say, is that done in a true evidence-based co-design way, which is not just about having a single patient at a table to say, che yes, check, we've achieved that, um, but really looking at engaging um, larger numbers and having them involved at all levels of decision making, including the development of the specific deliverables. Um, I think that we um, need to look at how we have um, 
representation from the providers. Uh, that includes psychiatrists. And I think it's speaking um, from uh, both the voice of organized psychiatry, so some of the um, uh, groups such as um, Ontario Psychiatric Association, OMA Section of Psychiatry, and others, as well as who are our real experts in the area that can speak to um, uh, service delivery models and um, have evidence of things that work. Um, primary care is going to be key to be at the table and also looking at um, other health disciplines um, and then representation I would say also from communities so how do we have representation from the city from housing from um, disability support Sarah do you have any final words any recommendations or anything that you want to want to get out there so I think this is a huge opportunity um, with the establishment of the Center of Excellence and um, identifying the need for a really comprehensive mental health and addiction strategy. It's a huge opportunity to say, how do we do this differently? And so really my final words are saying, let's really, uh, to government, let's ensure that we're truly partnering together to do this. And um, let's spend less time planning and more time I'm really using that continuous quality improvement approach and start with where we know we can and rapidly uh, look at cycles of improvement and scale and spread. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sarah. Joining me now is Adrian Spafford. Adrian is the CEO of Addictions and Mental Health Ontario. Previously, Adrian held senior roles in both government and membership associations. Thank you for joining us today, Adrian. Well, thanks for having me. Adrian, we're continuing our conversation on the government's new mental health and addiction strategy. Prior to you joining us today, we had Sarah Germain here, who expressed her concern with the lack of clarity and detail around how primary care is integrated into the new plan. What, in your opinion, are some other areas of concerns in the plan? I think the point around uh, the lack of linkage between primary care and the mental health and addiction system is um, important to keep an eye out on. And I think, I hope that the Center of Excellence will incorporate that into its work on the core services and applying something called a step care model, which basically means sort of the right level of care happens in the right place at with with the right level of professional. Um, you know, I we were we thought that the elements of the mental health and addiction strategy were good and were solid. I think our biggest concern was uh, a real lack of focus on a comprehensive wait time reduction strategy. We were hoping to see that come out more in the strategy document itself. The minister did uh, in her remarks at the announcement as well as in the news release point to work on a comprehensive wait time strategy. And really what that means is taking what was done for cancer care, for hips and knees, um, for MRI wait time services or other diagnostics and looking at the population and speak, doing research with a group of experts to say, if you have this diagnosis, this condition, you're experiencing um, this mental health issue, so let's take um, schizophrenia, for example, that based on the research, 
Um, this is the length of time you should wait to see psychiatry, to see community mental health services, uh, to get access to uh, an ACT team uh, or supportive housing. And then we would hope that we could measure, make a baseline for what percentage of the population we want to meet that target, measure where we're at as a province, and then fund up services to be able to move the dial on wait times. That's what we hear from people. That's the main concern for people. They're waiting too long for services or they can't access services in the first place. Um, you know, the other big missing piece for us in this announcement was the funding. So um, I think that the, the minister's vision around what they want to achieve with the mental health and addiction strategy is very sound. Um, the Roadmap to Wellness, which is the name of the strategy, gives us a methodology to get there. We can't do it without funding to improve services and to increase the volume of services. It's simply not possible. So we remain really um, sort of neutral in a way until we can see what funding levels will be available in the budget to be able to implement this strategy. People need services now, and there's two methodologies to doing this. One would say, You've got to get the system perfect, and then you can fund up the services. One would say there's a lot of areas where the system's working well and where the evidence is there behind the system. Let's fund up that capacity while we're better aligning the services. And we would definitely, you know, I like to say I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And I, I think that we can fund those evidence-based services and ramp up those volumes while at the same time we're doing the pieces around aligning to best practice and making sure navigation and transitions of care across acute primary care community settings is is smoother. Adrian, you touched on the budget, so I won't go into detail, but what, what do you hope to see in the budget um, coming up in Mar at the end of March? So our budget submission calls for a $380 million investment in services with a focus on community-based services and services for children and youth in particular. Um, the government made a commitment of $3.8 billion over 10 years. They made what I would call a down payment on that last year, which was $174 million. That was a flow-through of the funds that came from the federal dollars I'm sorry, from the federal health transfer uh, with the the health accord. And we are hoping that this year we will see money flow through the, from the federal transfer with a substantial provincial commitment to match. You know, I think government accounting and where the money is coming from aside, I don't say it lightly that when it comes to wait time and access to services for people living with mental health and addiction, challenges. There's a lot of places in the province and there's a lot of services where the lengths are at crisis levels and we need investment to be able to serve people whose lives are on the line waiting to get treatment. So if we were to look back four years from now, how do we know that the strategy is actually successful? What are those measures? I think I'll go back to the comprehensive wait time strategy. I hope that we will have, the strategy says they're going to establish a set of core services. So let's say that those core services are 
um, supportive housing, uh, assertive community treatment, community addiction treatment, residential addiction treatment, withdrawal management, uh, case management. So once they have those core services, we would want to see wait times established for those. And in four years time, we want to see the wait times for those services coming down. That would be one metric. We'd also really hope to see a reduce uh, a reduction in the usage of the emergency department as the first point of contact for someone who is experiencing a mental health or condition issue. And we know that Health Quality Ontario, previously Health Quality Ontario, now Ontario Health, has reported in its previous report cards that that, that number is high and growing, that people show up at the emergency department as a first point of contact for treating their mental health and condition, mental health or addiction condition because they can't access services through primary care or through the community. Either they don't know where to find them or when they find them, the wait list or is too long or they're, maybe the door is turned away because someone says, oh, you're dealing with substance use, I can only deal with mental health or you're dealing with mental health, I can only deal with substance use. And uh, so that's another metric. And I think, you know, I'd point to two others. Um, I think caregiver burden is a big, is a big issue. You know, the... The impact of uh, being a parent of a child that is experiencing a mental health crisis or um, an addiction is um, uh, is not just a weight psychologically. It's a weight on ability to work. It's a weight on ability to interact socially, and so I. Th- I'd hope we could see some reduced caregiver burden within four years. Um, And I hope also that we could see improvements in people's experience of care. That's actually a metric we're currently, most most of our members are currently monitoring right now, is something uh, called the um, Ontario Perception of Care Tool. And so that's data we're already collecting. And I think that if if we got the strategy right, we should be able to see um, those numbers improve. Adrian, when they the when the minister talked about the strategy, they talked about the con- consultations that happened uh, throughout Ontario uh, to kind of come up with this plan. How do you want to see the government work with the sector in the in in the upcoming years uh, in terms of implementation of the plan? It's a great question. Um, and I hope they're listening. <laughs> um, last year's budget investment was welcome in terms of the dollar values. It was $174 million. Um, it was, my members have referred to it as a sprinkling of dollars. So there were a lot of different programs that got a small amount of money. And something Probably the most important thing would be I would really like to see the government, the minister, and her team, as well as um, the team at Ontario Health, uh, strike a committee to inform how to make those investments 
where to make those investments so that we can have the most impact for the people for where the waits are the longest or for the populations that are um, really having an impact on the hallway healthcare situation. Um, I think that we would have really good ideas and come with real vested interests of clients and good stewardship of taxpayer dollars for how to invest in future years of their 10-year platform commitment. And so that's how I'd like them to work with us on implementation. The, you know, two other things. The second is, and I've spoken to um, the minister and her team and officials about this as well as as the folks at Ontario Health, is that I really hope that the standards that come out of the Center of Excellence are um, are informed by current practices um, and that, that the team at Ontario Health and the Center of Excellence for Mental Health and Addiction are really informed of the delta between the standard that they put out and the care that's currently delivered and understand the implementation challenge of getting to a new standard. So for instance, if a standard has requirements around um, a particular um, health workforce mix, like increasing the ratio of social workers um, or registered addiction therapists or psychologists on staff, uh, that's going to have a cost to implement. And um, I really, really want to be able to work with government, with the Center of Excellence, to be um, to be able to liaise with our members on how to get from where we're at right now to where um, the where the system needs us to be um, and where we want to be, um, but is not doable without investment and implementation. And I would also really, really hope this isn't about addictions and mental health Ontario, but it needs to happen for this strategy to succeed that the government is co the government and the center of excellence are co-designing services with the people that use these services. So in mental health and addiction, because of how big the stigma is, you know, for decades, for centuries, people have been basically providing their own care because it's been too hard to go and access the care. And I think that it's really important that collectively as a system, we tap into that knowledge and that expertise and the culture that exists. Um, and there's more than one, obviously, uh, so that we're able to design a system that's going to work for the people who use it. Great. Any final thoughts? Any Anything you want to get out there before we wrap up? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me because it was on my bucket list to be on a podcast. And so my bucket list has been um, checked off on that one. Um, you know, on a more somber note, I think we hear a lot about and sort of thinking about COVID-19 and the flu season, and, and we hear a lot about hallway healthcare, and definitely there is a lot more in our 
society now about mental health, less so on addiction, the prevalence rates that we're dealing with are very, very serious. Um, you know, I've got a statistic here. Um, nearly 1,500 Ontarians died from opioid overdoses in 2018. And repeat visits to emergency departments for substance use conditions increased by 50% from 2014 to 2019. That compares to the overall increase for emergency department visits growing by only 6%. So 50%, 6%. I think those of us who work in mental health and addiction uniquely understand the connection between mental health and addiction and hallway medicine. Um, but I don't think that the media or even government uh, or the healthcare system writ large sees it as big as a connection as it is. And getting this right on the strategy, getting this right on the funding uh, will pay off in terms of the sustainability of our healthcare system and in terms of the well-being of Ontarians living with mental health and addiction conditions and those who love them. Great. Thank you so much, Adrian. We really loved having you here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find this episode and more on our website at santashealth.ca and on our Twitter at santashealth. This has been from the Burgundy Chairs.